You're listening to the Footprints of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Lawrence. Today on Footprints, we welcome Lee Walker. Lee is Director of Publishing, Editorial and Design for Oxford University Press, Australia and New Zealand, and President of the Australian Publishers Association. For 28 years, Lee has enjoyed a very rewarding career in the sector and has been a senior leader in the publishing industry for 14 years. Before she made her mark at Oxford, Lee worked at Cengage Learning. In her spare time, Lee enjoys reading and drawing despite not rating her artistic skills, listening to community radio on Saturday mornings while unwinding from her week and enjoying the great company of friends and family over for a glass or more of wine. Hi, Lee. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Hi, how are you going? <laughs> I am well. How are you? Thank you for being here. I'm um, great. It is Friday, so I do look forward to that glass of wine at the end of today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so close now. <laughs> so to start off, I, I'm going to ask you to just briefly describe your leadership journey so far and how you've ended up where you are today. Sure, sure. So I'll talk to you a little bit about my education because it is really important um, and it's how I got to where I am today. I started off doing an undergraduate arts degree, which probably wasn't an education that would get me any career at all, but it's probably the best part of my education journey. Doing um, an arts degree, majoring in literature, doing a sub-major in philosophy, it was wonderful. Um, That was at Deakin University. I then went on and did a graduate diploma in education thinking that I was going to become a teacher. And in fact, I wanted to be a teacher for the most part of my life until I got Mm. to the stage where I thought I really don't want to be a teacher anymore Uh, and after I'd done all this study. But the graduate diploma in education did hold me in good stead to get into publishing, as it turns out. So a bit of luck on my side, I think. And while I was doing that graduate diploma, I was doing some freelance work for an educational publishing company. And when I graduated, there were no jobs for English majors um, in metropolitan Melbourne. And I didn't want to move to the country. So I went, okay, well, I'll just sort of stay in publishing and see how I go. Not ever thinking throughout my life up until that point that there were careers in publishing. I actually didn't even know how books were made. So, and you know, and that, and that, <laughs> yeah. was, the, that was sort of at the end of the period of um, the very manualness of publishing. Um, when I first started in publishing, I didn't have a computer. I, I had an electric typewriter and people still put memos in, in people's in trays on their desks. So there was no email. Wow. (laughs) So, and it sounds like I'm really old, but I don't think I am. Um, No. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I had various jobs um, at one publishing company, which had various names actually, but when I left it was called Cengage Learning. So I I think I had seven or eight different jobs. And then um, nearly 14 years ago, I think, I moved over to Oxford University Press because I was offered a director role. So I'd sort of hit the pinnacle of my career. And I'm still at Oxford today. So I'm a bit of a stayer. So I've only ever worked for two publishing companies and for long periods of time, but have been provided with lots of different opportunities um, to develop my career 
and to make sure that I was being continually intrinsically rewarded based on the personality, you know, the person I am. Amazing. And what a credit to you, you know, obviously your hard work and the person you are just kept uh, getting those opportunities. It's so wonderful. And I'm so excited to be talking with you today because, you know, from all of that experience, you have so much to share. Can you tell me what your current role at Oxford University Press entails? So I'm responsible for a team of around 40 staff, a little bit under at the moment, but um, it's a big team across the primary, secondary and higher education sectors. That's who we publish for or which parts of the industry we publish for. I work, so that's my team and my remit is basically content creation or part of my remit is content creation and the strategy that's wrapped around that content creation. But I work with my managing director and my other senior colleagues. So I'm on the senior management team. We used to call it a board. We don't anymore. It's a senior management team to develop business strategy and budget governance. And we're really big into our people. So people initiatives around performance and development, health and well-being, And also business continuity planning has been added to our remit during the pandemic. So that's added another, you know, complex layer um, of um, the senior management team's responsibilities. So I'm responsible for publishing across those three sectors, primary, secondary and HE or higher education. And I work collaboratively with my publishing managers who report directly to me and then they work with their teams to develop the publishing program. And as you mentioned, in my spare time, I'm also president of the Australian Publishers Association, a body that represents not only educational publishing, but all of Australian publishing. So including trade and scholarly, the indies or independents. And we also have a committee that oversees the children's publishing industry, which is a part of trade, but they're sort of separate because they do so well. Um, so yes, so, so that yeah, wow. so that's another string to my bow, which is really fantastic. I wish I, yeah. um, I wish I had more time to be president of the APA. Uh, I think I'd do a better job, but um, I have a great board of directors, so we're a good team. Amazing. So how long have you been president for? Um, I'm in my third year. So and wow. we're up I'm up for re-election next April at the AGM. Uh, I'm not sure that I will want to re-elect. It's a big job and I have a big job at Oxford University Press. And I know that there are people on the board that would be fantastic successes for the position. So I'm not worried about whether I decide to, they need to vote me in, of course, but decide to continue on or whether I step down because I know that it will be filled by very talented uh, senior publishing managers. So, yeah, I'm not worried at all. Yeah, yeah. And it's so wonderful, the vast array of areas that you have worked in in publishing. And I noticed, um, so so currently you're in education. I thought it was interesting when you were speaking about the um, Australian Publishing Associations Mm. that was it the children's literature that you were saying is sort of so big that it's almost separate? No, um, we have committees. So we have a trade publishing committee, Children's Publishing Committee, Education Publishing Committee, Scholarly, blah, blah, blah. Um, And children's could easily be um, subsumed into the Trade Publishing Committee 
But because it's a significant part of that industry, um, mm. the APA and the board just felt strongly that it deserved its own committee because you sort of have adult trade and then you have children's trade. Um, right. And they're big, robust sectors. And so separating them allows both those committees to get more done and be more focused. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I see. Yeah. yeah. Ah, amazing. So, Lee, what does leadership mean to you? Mm, okay, so I've got a few things to say about what it means to me. Um, <laughs> from a people perspective, I mean, my people or our people are the most important attribute or investment any publishing industry makes because without people, we don't have a business. You know, we're not in the mining industry where we dig gold or uranium or whatever, you know, that's what that industry values the most. What we value the most is our people. So from that perspective, being a leader for me is about empowering my team to be successful by knowing and understanding their strengths. And then being a leader also for me is about helping them develop their skills and their knowledge and their expertise in areas that will ensure they continue to grow in their roles. So because without those people, you know, I can't do my job on my own. So I need to find ways to give them opportunities to be the best they possibly can be and to keep getting better. Again, from mm. a people perspective, being acutely aware of the shadow that you cast or I cast because you are a leader um, of the business, every move you make, that's like a bit of a um, police song, but every you, every move you make. <laughs> I started singing it in my head then. <laughs> Sorry, you won't be able to get out of your head all day now. Every move you make, everything you say is illuminated because you're a leader. People are looking at you, looking up to, well, I don't like being looked up to, but looking at you every day, mm. waiting to hear what you're going to say. Um, so you can never underestimate the impact, positive and negative, and in my career, mm. I've negatively impacted teams and team members of what you say and what you do and that impact um, on individuals and teams. So um, there's sort of like a leadership, not trick, but a piece of leadership advice that I got in some leadership training around that mm. shadow that I cast. And it has stuck with me ever since. And yeah. you've got to be very, um, well, you've got to try to be very intentional with what you say and what you do, um, which mm. is really hard for me because I'm very passionate about my career and what we do and, and the, the impact that we have on the markets we serve. And I can mm. be quite impulsive because I'm creative. That I've yes. got to be constantly conscious of my behaviour and how I'm exhibiting myself. It's really hard. <laughs> yes. How incredible that you're so conscious of all of that. It's making me want to work for you actually, like yeah. to, to have a leader that, that would, you know, that really does care yeah. and is conscious of that I yeah. think is really, really admirable. Oh, I've just got two other things to say. I'll just move away from people for a minute. Um, from a business leadership perspective, co-managing the operation of the business to ensure its sustainability, that's sort of like 101 hygiene. That's what I'm there to support the business and support my managing director and my senior colleagues do. And just as important as my people or our people, I think, is from a strategic perspective, being intimately in touch with the external environment and knowing when and why you must pivot or completely transform. 
and that has never been so challenging. Um, the market is incredibly dynamic for a number of reasons and the market is incredibly competitive. So we are constantly pivoting and we are, it, business as usual is about constant transformation in the 21st century. So there is never a dull day. <laughs> yes, I bet. Is an, an example of pivoting um, so that so that anyone listening can understand, would that be um, audiobooks or could you give me an example of, of pivoting? Okay. Um, we've done a lot of pivoting this year. I'll give you two examples. We have reframed our publishing program seven times this year because wow. unfortunately of the pandemic, different uh, curriculum bodies. So unfortunately, in the country of Australia, we have states that, unfortunately or fortunately, I'm not sure, but for us sometimes, unfortunately, or unfortunately, you know, there are advantages and disadvantages. We have states that um, work to different curricula. So we don't just publish one series and push it out to all Australian secondary schools, for example, we might have three different versions of the same series. And, uh, you know, our biggest growth opportunity in Australian educational publishing is around curriculum reform. And so right. we are beholden to education departments to say, yes, we're reforming. Um, it will be implement implemented in 2022. No, we're delaying. Um, we're going to push it back two years. So depending on where education departments are, and what they do and the decisions they make based on um, politics. You know, education is very political and funding really does shape our publishing programs. And another example of where we had to pivot this year, and I don't want to dwell on the pandemic because it gets a bit boring um, because we've been in it for so long, but we had to, and the whole industry came together where um, we had to partner with our schools and make sure that everything that they had acquired from us in terms of content, they could also access digitally. And so most of the big publishing companies made all, there's, I mean, there's a lot of content available digitally, but there's some content that's still in print or they have different purchasing models that um, wouldn't allow students to access that content at home for some reason. We just opened it all up and we said, you can have it all for free. Yes. And so we, wow. from I think from April until the end of term three, which we're at the end of now, we have all left all our digital platforms open and fully accessible to all our schools and students to assist them with remote learning. So that has been an incredible collaborative initiative for the Australian Educational Publishing, uh, for Australian Educational Publishing. It's been yeah, so we had to pivot really quickly. We moved mountain. We all moved mountains in a very short, a short amount of time. Yeah, and yes. yeah, we did yes. transform that publishing program seven times, and we've just had well. our final projects approved. But it wouldn't <laughs> surprise me if there were further changes <laughs> to curriculum implementation, and we just go with the flow and we mitigate and we have meltdowns, and but then we get back up again and go, okay, what are we going to do? Yeah. Yes. So, yes. Lots of resilience Thank needed. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, so okay. with, you know, this huge role that you have, and then you're also, you know, have this president role on the, the APA. Do you have any um, sort of special routine or um, things that you do to, to keep yourself motivated mm. and organized? Mm. 
Mm. It's not hard for me to be motivated about my work. That's easy. So I don't need to be motivated, but I do need to be organized and I do need to make sure that I have time for myself, that it's not all about work. So I'll talk to you about my morning routine because I think that's where I set myself up um, for each day. Um, And it's really important to me and it is structured, but it is just about me and it's simple because the rest of my day is about other people and most days are complex. So just having a couple of hours to myself in the morning for me is important. And being at home all the time at the moment, it's become more important because you need to be able to disconnect from work at home and even more so when you are working from home. So so I get up, I have a shower, of course I have a shower, but um, I get up and I go for a walk for an hour. Um, but I head straight to my local coffee shop. Yes. <laughs> and I get the coffee first. Yeah. Um, and then I just, I walk for an hour and it's, I mean, it's fantastic. I've m- made so many friends with dogs. It's been, yes. <laughs> yeah. and I'm lucky because I've got a park right near me. And I get home and I turn the radio on. The radio, the radio is really important um, working from home for me. It gives, you know, it's, it's a bit of company. So it'll either be Triple R, like you um, introduced at the beginning of this session, um, or Radio National. It just depends on my mood. <laughs> yep. Um, and I have a cup of tea. And while I'm listening to the radio, it's in the background. It's that company. I'm reading the news, usually on my phone. Yep. And I always have something to eat, but I'm, even though I'm not hungry, because I know I'll be hungry by about 10, so I'll just have something to eat. And it's a really, it's a really lovely time. It's very simple. Um, mm. there's, there's, there's no one, there are no demands other than just sitting and um, understanding or starting to think about the day ahead. So then I make another coffee um, and I move to my desk, um, which isn't far away from the kitchen. <laughs> and I, and I, review, I review my priorities for the week and where I'm at with them. So I sit down and I collect myself and I run through the emails I've got overnight. I have to. Um, email does not rule my day, but in the morning I have to look at them because our main office is in Oxford and we work on a global scale across the world and I have colleagues that I'm working with every day that are in China, India, Pakistan, South Africa, mm. the UK, and so there's always something for me when I get up in the morning. I've actually grown, I've, I've forced myself out of the habit of checking my phone the minute I wake up in the morning. I don't do that anymore. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of every week, I list my top three successes and then set my top three priorities for the following week. But this is a routine that all the senior managers, senior managers do, and we get together right. every Monday morning to talk about where we won, where we lost, you know, yeah. and really lean on each other about what happened the week before and then what our yeah. priorities are for the coming week um, and where we might need to support one another. So that is pretty fantastic for me. It gives yeah. me structure. It sounds like I'm very structured from what I've just um, read to you, but I think this is the only structure in my day in the morning um, and then at the end of the week and at the beginning of Monday because in everything else sort of just beca- it does sometimes become very organic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. And so what has it been likely as a female leader in your industry? And I'm interested to know if that's changed over the years. Mm. Well, it's an interesting question because um, I don't think being female in the – I'll talk about the educational publishing industry because I don't know what it's like in trade, to be quite honest, although my board um, at the APA 
is very fair. It's very, um, there's parity. There's the same number of female managing directors. I'm not a managing director, but I'm a director of publishing. I think, no, I'm not the only non, non-managing director on the board. I think there are three of us. Yeah. But there's the same number of females to males. So really yeah. nice people. And in my experience, and I've been in the industry for a long time, there's always been, you know, generally there's been gender parity at senior management levels. However, I am sure that more there are more female managing directors than we um, had 20 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. Where I mm. did find it difficult, just in terms of, you know, inclusion, where I did find it difficult was having to justify the leadership roles I was in because of my age. Right. So I think, and, you know, the younger people listening to this podcast will go, oh, that's not very young. But in my career, you know, periods in my career, I was very young compared to who I was working with. So I think I was, mm. I think I was 32 when I was promoted to publishing manager at Cengage and then 36 when I was appointed a director at OUP. So I received no comments about my gender, never have, but colleagues did comment about my youth. So, you know, I was often called Young Lee or the youngest person on the board. It was often called out. And so I learned to take it as a compliment, but I just, yeah, I wonder what the motive was behind people commenting on my my age. And this perception of being too young to be a leader uh, also compounded my, you know, I had, I did have an imposter syndrome, mm. you know, I don't have it anymore. I truly don't have it anymore. And it's quite liberating to not have it anymore, but probably for the best part of 15 years, and that's a really long time. Mm. I often worried that my ascending career was just a sham and that I was going to get caught yeah. out. Um, and people were going to realize that I actually wasn't very good at what I did. Yeah. <laughs> but that's never happened. Because yeah. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> yes. It's one that comes up a lot and I'm, I'm grateful that you have shared that as well. Um, I think we, we almost don't realise how many people are experiencing imposter syndrome all the time. Mm. And if I dedicated some time to understanding why I had it, maybe I would understand why. But, you know, I was brought up by parents that are incredibly liberal, um, incredibly supportive, have no preconceived ideas about what I was going to do or what I was going to be. And so I don't know where it comes from other than the fact that I'm female Um, and culturally females have been disadvantaged for a very long time in our culture and in many cultures and there are other cultures that are far worse off than um, we are in this Western culture. So Interesting, interesting. But I definitely don't have it anymore. And I think age, if we're talking about age, age really helps. The the older you get, the wiser you get, and the less you care about what other people think, in in my experience. Yes. What has been the most difficult decision you've had to make as a leader? Mm, Actually deciding to stay in the industry. Um, There was, I can't remember the year. It wasn't that long ago. It It was probably... It was probably heading on 10 to 15 years ago. Um, there was this significant shift from print to digital. Mm-hmm. Like for me, it was like an audible crack. Right. Um, and I just went, wow, do I really want to be in publishing anymore? Mm-hmm. Because it really did change the way we developed and delivered content. It was hard yeah. um, and we had to reskill. It was just hard. Um, 
But my thoughts were fleeting, but I do remember the day really vividly. I remember having a conversation with my then managing director and I said, I don't want, I don't know if I want to be here anymore. Mm. And he was quite shocked. But, um, but I had to, I had to really rethink what I wanted out of publishing because I always want to make sure that what I'm doing in my career is really aligned to who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to do a lot of thinking about that. And I'm glad I did stay. And it's still really challenging, um, but it is positively rewarding. It's incredibly creative. It's so dynamic and it's always shifting. So I can never say I'm bored in my role. Um, yeah, no one can ever say, I, I truly believe no one can ever say who's in publishing that they are bored <laughs> yeah. um, because it is so dynamic. Yes. And what has been your greatest professional achievement and why? I'm going to give you two. Yeah, please. Because they're quite different. Okay. So um, from a publishing leadership perspective, the realisation that I didn't have to be the one that made all the decisions that was quite pronounced for me and that empowering my team to work together and with me, of course, Mm. to decide next steps produces better decisions. So for a long time, I thought it was me. I had this burden of like, if I make the wrong decision, we're going to fail, but it's actually not up to me. Um, You know, I'm a guide. I'm a mentor. My role is not to make decisions. Um, That is the role of the team or the teams, um, depending on what projects you're working on. Mm -hmm. So that for me was incredibly liberating. And from a creative leadership perspective, there are so many, well, not so many, I'll say many, many projects that I've worked on that have been both successful in Australia, but also across the world. Mm -hmm. And knowing that what you publish, and this all sounds very worthy, but I really mean it, it is from the heart knowing that what you publish positively impacts children's education is the most intrinsically rewarding. I feel very lucky to be in the career that I am in because of the impact that I can help have on other people. Yes. Yes. A positive impact. Yes. Um, yeah. That's pretty beautiful. lucky. Yeah. Mm. Lee, I'm interested to know how important creativity is in your work and in your life. Oh, yeah, I didn't think so much about my life, but I'm happy to talk to you about my bad drawing. But um, (laughs) (laughs) um, incredibly important um, to be successful in publishing, especially if you're in the content creation team, and that's that's what I lead. You have to be creative. Also, at the same time, be a very lateral thinker. So you can't just go and create anything you want. You have to really apply your creative thinking to make sure that you're developing ideas that are going to travel, that are actually going to make an impact, that are going to be successful. You can't just take an idea that you have and go, well, we're going to do this. Um, They have to be very strategically thought out. Mm. Um, And especially because we work in that very mature and dynamic market that's constantly being influenced by trends and shifts in technology and you have to be constantly thinking creatively and laterally to be competitive Mm. You know, that is that is the end game, unfortunately. You have to mm. be competitive and you have to have the mindset that you you have to win over your competitors. Um, yeah, so creativity in its broadest sense, I think. At home, I'm creative. Um, I love my photography, which I haven't mentioned to you before. Um, yeah. I have started drawing. I love music. I love interior design. I love the world around me, you know, 
you know, yeah. I love the beauty of the world. I think that, you know, being able to think creatively like that is good enough. I think everybody's creative in their own way. Yes, yes, I agree. I agree, yeah. yeah. So to finish off, Lee, what is one piece of leadership advice that you can leave me with today? Okay, again, I have three pieces of advice. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't expect anything else. <laughs> so, Samantha, you need to wake up every morning and commit to doing the best job possible and being the best person and the best leader you can be. That mindset is so important and that nothing is insurmountable. might take a while to get there, but nothing is insurmountable. And know that everything you're working on is for the long term and the long-term sustainability and success of a business. The short wins are far and few between. You know, those, oh, I've achieved this today and I've achieved this today and it's like, no, two years later, I go, yes, you know, we got there in the end. So um, short-term gratification is hard to come by as a leader. You've got to get used to that. Mm-hmm. Um, this, is, this last point is really important. You have to believe in yourself. So no imposter syndrome. Believe in yourself and know when you've done a good job because compliments are rare when you're a leader. No one says thank you. Well, rarely. Um, no one says when you've done a good job. And in my experience, no feedback from your team or your colleagues or your boss means you are doing a good job. You know, the best piece of advice from my current manager is you'll hear from me if we need to talk about how we can do a better job. He said, if you don't hear from me, it means you're doing a great job. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, so that, you know, that being able to thank yourself um, and being able to feel proud of what you do by doing the best that you possibly can do every day in my world is all I can do as a person. And constantly aspiring to be the best that you can be without putting so much pressure on yourself, you haven't nervous breakdown. Um, but <laughs> being, the best, being the best you can be and being proud of that, I think, is the secret to having a good and happy life. Mm. Wow. Thank you so much. There is so much to take from from this whole chat. I've really, really enjoyed speaking with you and and you've shared so much, so much beautiful insight and amazing advice. So I'm very grateful. Thank you for being here today. Mm, It's my pleasure, Samantha. I could actually talk all day, but I (laughs) it can be boring. Uh, that's one of the disadvantages of working home on your own when you when you get talking it's hard to stop (laughs) yes well thank you so much thanks samantha thank you for listening to the footprints of leadership podcast make sure you subscribe and leave a review on apple podcasts and follow on spotify to be notified of our next episode you can find more on our socials at footprints podcast This podcast was brought to you by Giraffe Consulting. If your business is ready for a new perspective, visit giraffeconsulting.com.au.